people do a casual practice, that's fine. The question that you should be asking yourself is, where is the practice coming from? Is this practice in line with scripture? Not how long people have been doing it. Because you've been doing something for 100 years, doesn't make it right. That was our guest on Focus on the Family today, speaking to the point on the subject of absolute truth in comparison with mere opinion. And as we explore these elements today, we're hoping to uncover the truth of how culture fits into the Christian life. You know, Alison, a lot of what we do here at Focus on the Family revolves around strengthening marriages and helping parents raise their kids with biblical values. But hopefully our listeners know that at our core, our mission is to share the gospel of Jesus with as many people as possible. Yes. That's ultimately what we're about. Mm-hmm. And the family is a vehicle for that purpose. And we know that when we're helping Christian families in their marriages and with their kids, we're helping them to be salt and light in the world where others, their neighbors, may come to know Jesus simply by seeing them live out family and faith in the way that God designed. Mm. But there are a lot of obstacles to living out our faith. We have this incredible privilege of living in the rainbow nation, so many different cultures. But we also see the negative side of that, where our own culture can be a stumbling block to Mm. our faith. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Well, here to talk to us more about the subject is Africa Mklope. He's a pastor and an author, and he speaks on various platforms in South Africa and abroad, including being a speaker at the Karoo Mighty Men's Conferences. He's the author of two books, the most recent being Freed by God but Imprisoned by Culture. Africa, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Africa. Well, that title... Freed by God, but imprisoned by culture. It's pretty hard hitting, uh, <laughs> yeah. but intriguing. You know, what do you yeah. mean by imprisoned by culture? Yeah, well, um, culture, first of all, we define what it is. So, sure. so typically, an English dictionary would tell you that culture is a way of life. So yeah. I ask the question, a way of life according to who? Yeah. In other words, who comes up with that way of life as your culture? Yeah. So culture is behavior. It's not biologic. Um, it's an generational, not genetic. It's nature, not nature. Yes. So it's socialization. It's things we pick up. We're born into it, not born with it. Yeah. Mm. But often people think it's the other way around. They think that if I don't do certain things, this is what's going to happen to my physicality. This is what's going to happen to my spirituality, my finance. And if they think culture, a man-made system, has an impact on destiny, has an impact on my upbringing, my children, mm. how they're raised and and so they believe in so much that certain things that are coming from culture are necessary for healthy living. And so there's an imprisoned part of culture where it's not just a way of life as we pick up trades and, and practical things to do, but also there's beliefs. Mm. There's that kind of an arresting element of it yeah. that says to you, if you don't do this, yes. this will be the consequences. Yeah. So that's where I focus on. I think I've seen that uh, in our work. We've supported uh, adoption as uh, something that we want to promote in this context and around the world. And uh, one of the initiatives that we've had is this Adoption 101 campaign, just speaking about adoption being part of God's plan. Actually, he adopts us into his family. But uh, in South Africa, a lot of the adoption, the the legal adoption, if I can put it that way, through the system is Uh is often cross-cultural adoption. And that question comes up. You know, what about this child's culture and yeah. what do we need to do? Yeah. And and one of the guys that I, I thought he addressed it so well when he said exactly what you've just said, we're not born with culture. We're born you're, born, you're born with a color, with yes. a skin color, yeah. but your culture you're born into. And so yeah. that child will adopt the culture of 
the family. Yes, that's no matter what that family yes. looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it's an important point. But how do we link? Is there a link between religion and culture when we talk about issues of faith? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, in, in, in African context, um, there's very many people don't know how to differentiate between African religion and African culture. The two are so interlinked that it's very difficult to tell the two apart. Yeah. So, so at the foundation of African culture is African religion. So, as I said, a lot of people who practice African culture do not know the elements of religion that are infused within it. Yeah. Religion, you know that it exists when there are elements of fear, when it speaks to the same questions that Christianity speaks to, the question of destiny, the question is of, of cosmology, where do you come from, creation, destiny, purpose, meaning of life, values. Yeah. Um, culture, as I said, is behavioral. What it does is this. Culture censors you for what you do. You do an act culture then because it's a social construct. It senses that Christianity is different. Jesus says that the law of Moses says if you look at a woman and, and, and lust of her, Moses, if you sleep with her, it's called adultery. Jesus says if you think of it, yeah. it's considered as if it's done. So Christianity is different. It doesn't deal with the sins of the hands, but the sins of the heart. Yeah. What you even conceive. So it can never be, culture can never be stronger than Christianity. Christianity prevents um, it's preventative. It doesn't deal with the behavior committed. It deals with the behavior, the motivations of the heart. But people who put culture above Christianity, above their faith, will then prioritize what the t culture teaches, even if it contradicts their faith. Yeah. That way it becomes the, uh, a problem. So culture is good in as far as it doesn't supersede the superiority of faith. Yeah. So because of the fact that people have not detached completely from the element of religion in culture, they do certain practices which are deemed to be cultural practices, yet at the genesis of the foundations of these practices was religion. Yeah. So the religion aspect is still there, yeah. especially in Africa. Sure. Give us examples in different cultures if yes. you can, because uh, I think it applies yeah. across all cultures. The two dominant cultural systems in South Africa is Western culture and an African cultural system. Yeah. In the Western cultural system, the individual defines society the African culture society defines the individual. Mm. So they come from two different ends. And just on that scope alone, these two cultures are bound to conflict. A conflict between these cultural systems is inevitable because of the very fact that they come from two different angles. And so the European cultural system, I call it a culture of superiority. So it's not that superiority is only a Sarakan phenomena. It's a problem of European culture. It's a weakness of African of European culture. So I'm, the way I put it is that a person of European descent have to be conscious of superiority, as a person of African descent has to be conscious of idolatry. Okay. So the weakness of African culture is idolatry. The weakness of European culture is superiority. Now the foundation of this superiority is not just the superiority of civilization that our civilization is more superior, uh, we're more developed, but it has elements of religion as well, where the People believe that they are created by God as better species. Sure. Mm. And they even talked about social dualism, that other species are more evolved than others. So there was, with Dutch people who came to, to South Africa, there was an element of we are a race that God has chosen. Yeah. And we go to South Africa as our promised land. So we're a chosen race. We deal with these barbarians here who don't know God, and we mm. know God. Mm. And so there is, therefore, that kind of pride um, with the Africans, specifically in South Africa. And there are some who believe that they're closer to Judaism and Jews. They are they're that kind of manifestation here. And therefore, they've got a covenant with God that supersedes that which other races have in terms of relation with God. Do you think 
this what you're talking about now is is conscious or subconscious do you think it's something that people believe and would speak mm-hmm. or, or it's something below the surface that they would deny if you ask yeah. them but yeah. but maybe it's bubbling beneath it's both oh. there are those who proudly declare it so yeah. um i mean the word the k word that's used in africa and um, which comes from from islam really um which talks about unbelievers which was adopted by africans which now it's it seemed to be obvious a word of insult, yeah. but initially was to referring to unbelievers, those sure. who don't know God. Yeah. And so therefore to be classified as a heathen is the lowest form of insult. Yeah. Godless people. Yeah. So there are those who believe that other races it's impossible for them to be closer to God as we are. It's just mm. So it's so not so. just about a perception of self. It's a perception of then others as yes, well. Yes, yeah, because self has to be contrasted or compared yeah. to others. Okay. You know, so there's no superior that inferiority. Yeah, yeah. So f- yeah. there must be somebody inferior for somebody to be superior. Yeah. 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 Africa, so then how would you describe the cultural influence when you said the problem with African culture is that they will fall into idolatry? Yeah. Can you explain that? So African religion is not founded on the idea of worshipping God. It's based on how to maximize fortune and how to minimize misfortune. God is in the background. At the foreground is ancestral spirits and other things. So basically it's like a hierarchy. God somewhere at the top of the pyramid and then ancestors and then mediums, so which doctor traditional healers, and then people. So the process of approaching God is going through mediums, going through ancestors, and then ultimately to God. But the people mostly interacted with ancestral spirits who are supposedly mediating between them and God. So, and the whole point of it was that we're wanting, we're using God um, to ward off spiritual misfortune or attacks. Mm. Not that we're not worshiping God because we have a relationship with Him. So there was no relationship with God. God was approached only during times of national crisis when there's famine or there's something. Otherwise, on a day to day basis, people did not interact with God. So that idea of using God exists even in Christianity. Because it's not been dealt with. Where people, yeah. I call it, we call it anthropocentric Christianity. That's man-centered Christianity. Christianity mm-hmm. that serves man mm-hmm. rather than man serving God. Okay. So it's people who come to God for what he does, not for who he is. Mm. So they come for God for miracles. They come to God for deliverance. They come for God for prosperity. And therefore they want to get something from God. Okay. So they're orientated around what they can get from him mm-hmm. rather than who they can be to him. So it's big in Christianity. Yeah. It's big in Africa. It's big around the world. It's big in the Western world as well. Yeah. So um, because Isn't that part of human nature. Actually? Yes, it's there. Yeah. And so, so a person has to be redeemed from that. They have to be coming to a stage where like Shadrach, Abednego, and Meshach will then say to King Nebuchadnezzar that there is a God in heaven who will deliver us from your fire. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will still not bow to you. Yeah. So we don't yeah. worship him because he delivers us. We yeah. worship him for who he is. Yes. Yeah. So that has to be very clear. So the issue that's therefore of African culture and idolatry, it manifests in various ways. And mm. how we relate to leaders in the church and how we relate with authority and how leaders see themselves over the people mm-hmm. they lead, how we relate to material objects around us. When idolatry is such an issue in your life, you idolize anything. Hmm. Yeah. And so you have to be delivered from that and so that you can relate with things properly because we still have, have things. But if we have an improper, unredeemed mind, we then idolize things that we're not supposed to idolize. Yeah. 
So how do we achieve that? If we, or how do we address that? Let me put it that way. Maybe these two sides, if we're wanting to both bring people together, but yes. also highlight this reality of the imprisonment of, of culture, what are some of the things that we can do to challenge that? Well, we need to understand that culture is not synchronized. It's not holy. A man who's a sinner could not have produced that which is free of his condition of sin. Yeah. The, all that is produced of man is tainted by the condition of man. So therefore, no culture is perfect. Yeah. That's a point of departure. So we have to come to a point whatever is off the earth cannot represent heaven. Yeah. That's why God, through Jesus, has not come to improve the earth. He's come to remove and replace yeah. the earth. Because all that is in the earth, the last of the flesh, the last of the life, of, 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 of life and the flesh and all that, are not of the Father. So do not love the world or anything that is in the world. Mm. First John says that. So we need to understand that. So when we come to our account, we need to be very, very clear and not have sympathy and sentiment in dealing with that which is contradictory to the gospel, mm. that which is incompatible with the gospel. We're very clear, this is incompatible with the gospel. And whether it's prior, whether it's superiority, whether it's idolatry, and so that's the point of departure. The gospel is superior to God. It has to be very clear to us. Now, mm. the issue of practically, how do we do that practically? Here's the thing. Um, you have to move from a conviction that all truth comes from God. Mm. That Bible says, let every man be a liar and God be true. If you do not, if you somehow you think that something can be true that doesn't come from God, then you say some truth that doesn't come from God. Mm. If something cannot be confirmed by scripture, it then is a, maybe a fact or knowledge, but it's not truth. <laughs> so you want something that you do to be validated by scripture not just by human beings, not nice. just by upbringing. So, so if you do a cultural practice, so this is how we view, I understand, a cultural practice. People do a cultural practice, that's fine. The question that you should be asking yourself is, where is the practice coming from? Is this practice in line with scripture? Mm -hmm. Not how long people have been doing it. Yes. Because you've been doing something for 100 years, doesn't make it right. Yes. <laughs> so why are we doing this practice? Where does it come from? What does the Bible say about it? Yeah. If the Bible is silent on it, because there are things like that, then you're not looking to create conflict where none should be existing. Yeah. But if there's clear biblical scripture, the end is saying, do not do that. Yeah. I mean, why are you doing it? Yeah. 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 Now, how much does identity come into this? I know you speak into issues of identity. Yeah. And if we understand who we are yes. primarily in relationship to God, yes. uh, is that not maybe also a starting point in terms of the way we view everyone yeah. around us, yeah. including yeah. culture? Culture is often used as the source of identity. Yeah. And, and that's wrong yeah. because culture is man-made. I, I define culture as, as you and I being governed by dead people, being ruled by dead people. So whatever the dead people who lived 200 years ago <laughs> formed as culture, yeah. If they are wrong, then what they did form becomes our standard. Mm. And we build on a wrong standard, mm. wrong foundation, because somebody did it 500 years ago and formed it. I'll give an example. Jeroboam made two calves so that the nation of, of the Judah would not go and worship in Jerusalem because the nation was split into two. There was 10 tribes aside and two tribes aside. So he was over the 10 tribes. He didn't want them to go aside, lest they deflect, they deflect there. So he did two calves and they worshipped. They said, they worshipped these calves as the God who delivered you out of Egypt. Mm. The same as it happened during Moses in the wilderness. 
And that sin of Jeroboam continued generation after generation after generation after generation. The Bible says that, and so and so sinned according to the sin of Jeroboam. And this Ahab sinned according to the sin of Jeroboam. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on and so on. That means the sin of Jeroboam became culture. It became a way of life to generations that succeed him. So somebody's invention produced from a sinful position can become to others a way of life. Yes. It doesn't help. This is an important thing. Reclassifying an abomination as culture doesn't change the fact that in God's eyes, it remains an abomination. So the fact that somebody invented it, whatever motives he had inventing that practice, doesn't change the fact that the practice had in the beginning been abominable to God and it remained so 200 years down the line. Mm -hmm. So there are many practices in Israel we see, many of them that comes, and they came from one person. Mm -hmm. And that generations that come afterwards. And that's why you have Josiah. Josiah now reads the text and he's got scrolls that are discovered and they read them to him and he tosses his clothes. Mm. He's like, he's he just discovered we have fallen like long time ago. He's mm-hmm. like, wow. And he repents and God says, all right, I heard you tell Josiah that I will still punish the nation of Israel, but I will spare him because his heart was tender. Yeah. You know? So he just discovered that what we've been doing since my father and my father's father, that's why Nehemiah and others and Daniel and others, when they pray, they'll say to God, Lord, we, our fathers, our fathers' fathers, our kings, are this. We have sinned against you. We deserve this punishment in Babylon or wherever. But now we pray to, we discover. So they owned up to that. Mm-hmm. We, us here, our fathers, our fathers' fathers, kings and princes and rulers, mm-hmm. we have sinned against you since we did this and worship a golden calf and worship Baal, we worship Asherah. And it mean, he owns up to that. And so, and he says, in other words, saying, we have been raised as sinful people and we've continued to sin against you and we've built systems of sin mm. and we've assos- and we've accepted sin as a way of life but now we see the consequences of it mm. so culture can be so um, sin and, and aberration and going against God can be so normal yeah. that you just don't see it as sin yes. like really? Yeah. is it sinful? and I know people therefore who are into racism in South Africa who when they got their eyes open they're like we never saw it yeah it was so normal. Yes. We we thought this was it. And we went to church every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we went to church. I mean, I was talking to, I was listening one day to Adrian Flock, one of the former minister of police and is now Christian, well, committed Christian. He said in a platform as a minister of police and a law and order column, he said, I was raised a Christian. I grew up, he said, I went to church all my lifetime, mm. but I never knew the heart of God. Mm. And the heart of God is love. Yeah. And so so you could go to church all your lifetime and yet never know the heart of God. Yes. How do we challenge those cultural biases that we have within each of us that might be stumbling blocks to to our an authentic faith? Uh, and some of them I think are would fit into that category of abomination uh, and some of them might not be seemingly as devastating but yeah. they're still affecting our walk with God because they're not founded on love. You yeah. said that. Yeah. yeah. How do we challenge that within ourselves, each and every culture? Yeah. So and including, so we're talking mostly ethnic ethnic culture, yeah. but we find ourselves in different kinds of church cultures and yes. different yeah. kinds of organizational yeah. cultures. Yeah. The thing about it is that I have a sense that we need to reestablish and found and discover the foundations. And what is life about? Mm. Um, 
Because I think that when we build on wrong foundations, foundations of personal success, mm. foundations of competing, hierarchy, uh, who's top, who's bottom, and not foundations of servanthood, of love, and considering others better than yourself. Even our culture will build around competitiveness and the urge we get over others. Mm. Yeah. And when we build it away from that, from selfishness, from, from that, and we build around servanthood, on love, and we'll find that we get back to the vein. For instance, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. They had no competitor, and they, therefore there was no conflict with somebody else. Mm. The conflict was within them mm. in terms of obedience to God's word. Mm. So the primary conflict is not with the other person. It's within mm. yourself. Sure. And so, because Adam was not competing against another race. Adam was not even an issue. Yeah. They, they were not uh, aggressive towards him. So he could not handle himself. That is self-leadership. Yeah. He could not discipline and manage his own values. Mm. So it starts with self, mm. being able to govern yourself, your emotions, your time, your values, and having core values. Not values that you have organizational values or church values or whatever. Your own personal values. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mm. So I found that we join organizations, we join churches, without having established who we are. Then we are formed by the organizations we join. Yeah. And so we then get swayed by what is happening, where we're going, because we do not know where we are, who we are before we join. Mm. So, so we have to first, a person has to be alone yeah. and discover what they are before they become part of other people. Yeah. And because Africa, we bring that. Would you say get into God's word? How do we, how do we begin yeah. that process? You know, obviously you join a church and you believe, wow, this is incredible. I've got believers surrounding me. Mm-hmm. This is the place I'm meant to be. But if we really are to establish who we are first, mm-hmm. what's our go-to? Yeah, the word, because we have to differentiate. So we go to church, we go to church. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a gathering, I call it church gathered, and then we live there and we leave that site and we're a church scattered. So we're a church gathered on a Sunday and we just scattered on Monday. We're still yes. the church. Yeah. Yes. So we are the church before we go to church. Sure. So, so a person, Jesus, for instance, um, in Matthew 3, he's baptized by John and the Bible says that when he comes up, the heavens opened. Mm-hmm. He comes up, the heavens opened because he had gone down. So that portrays the idea that when we humble ourselves, mm. the heavens then get to respond. Mm. So the heavens are opened up and the voice from heaven speaks, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. The father declares and validates Jesus before he preaches, before he heals. Mm. So he's mm. called a son. Yeah. He's a son by birth, not by behavior. Yeah. So he's not a son. So he doesn't get his validation from ministry. He yes. gets his validation from relationship. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't minister to get validation. He ministered not to be a son, but because he's a son. So we're saved by grace, not by works, but mm. for works. Mm. Yes. So there has to be a relationship where Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians 3. He talks about, I pray for you. When I think of you, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. He talks about that you may comprehend this immeasurable dimensions of God's love. He talks about that, that your heart may be flooded by love, that you would comprehend together with all the saints, the love of God that surpasses all knowledge that it will be known in your inward man. Mm. That knowing this love, you then be filled with the fullness of God. Mm. So all effective ministry is built on the foundation of love. Yes. I just love even that scripture you, you quoted or that story of Jesus being baptized 
uh, I think it's in 1 Peter where it says he received honor and glory when that voice came yes. and said, this is my son whom I love yeah, yeah. and with him I'm well pleased. And just that idea that we don't achieve that. Yes. Uh, we don't earn that. No, that is don't. a gift given because we are sons. Yes. We, yes. we have identity. We have affirmation. He says, yeah. I love you. Yeah. Um, and we have that security. And so, uh, Africa and Flopi, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing on this difficult and interesting and necessary topic, particularly in our context. Yeah, and I yeah. think a very important message for everyone yeah. because it hinges on that identity yeah. and who we are in God. Yeah. Um, and so thank you for being with us. Your book, uh, Freed by God, but Imprisoned, imprisoned by Culture, a uh, great title, a great read. And uh, thank you for being available to be used by God in this message. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Africa. It's been a great conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Well, I really felt as though Africa gave us a lot to think about today. And I believe that his voice over the airways and around our country is going to be a catalyst for change among Bible-believing Christians. And I say Bible-believing Christians because, as Africa alluded to, there are many who call themselves Christians and yet don't yield themselves to the Word of God. If you know of someone who could benefit from listening to this broadcast, please direct them to our website at safamily.co.za or if you have the Focus Africa app, you can share the program from the app. The book we want to recommend is written by Africa Mflope and titled A Passion for Position. Africa tackles the timely issue of leadership and how it can be misused in today's society. You can get your copy when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, hoping that you can join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.